Well, good morning. How are you guys today? Good. It's good to see you. Um, we are going to continue again this week our series through the Sermon on the Mount. And we will again be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you want to find Matthew 7 in your Bible or if you want to uh, just be prepared to read with us the verses that are on the screen, you can certainly do that. Um, we'll look through a, a passage today that really deals with prayer and the goodness of God, the connection um, between the two, between prayer and the goodness of God. I know some of you have probably been seeing, as I have, the, the news coming out of Atlanta and the Atlanta metro area over the last few weeks and even months as violent crime continues to rise and rise and rise and rise there. Um, and just over the last week or two, um, an astonishing rise in the Buckhead area that's led uh, the city council there and others to begin thinking about what it would be like to incorporate themselves aside from Atlanta uh, where they can uh, handle legal realities and policing and justice the way that they feel like it should be done. This rising crime in Atlanta is not just Atlanta. It's most major cities across the United States and it has seemed to have been fueled and is still being fueled by um, personalities in the media, by politicians, by celebrities. I'll say more about this in a couple of weeks, but I found myself, uh, found myself Thursday and Friday looking at news um, coming out, wondering, you know, if we as the people of God were as passionate about prayer as we tend to be about politics, I, I wonder if things would be different right? I mean, I wonder if we were as quick to, to go to our knees in prayer and to gather in groups of genuine prayer, seeking God and a movement of God, as we are to petition or to rant on social media. I wonder if things would be different. I wonder if we might open up the vast resources and stores of God's good mercy and see them poured out on our communities and our nation. So I just want to lay that as a, a kind of challenge before you to, to ask yourself in, in your own life, in your own heart, uh, is, is it far easier for me to one, run one direction than the other? And just hold that as a background, uh, if you will, as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Um, Julian of Norwich was a, a theologian, an English theologian in the Middle Ages. And she said this, she said, Prayer unites the soul to God. Prayer unites the soul to God. It's a simple but significant statement. Richard Foster, who some of you will know and some of you will not know, he's a, a prominent writer on spiritual disciplines today. He said this, we believe that prayer is something we should do, even something we want to do. But it seems a chasm stands between us and actually praying. We experience the agony of prayerlessness. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? And, and I'm not talking about the kind of casual statement here, statement there, throughout the day, that, that we should be, in a sense, living in a spirit of prayer. But what I'm, I'm talking about here and what I think 
the, the number of people that I'll quote this morning just helping us understand that prayer is a big topic that all of us tend to wrestle with as followers of Christ, or almost all of us, I'll say. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about specific, consistent times of prolonged and intentional prayer. For most of us in the church, that tends to be a struggle, does it not? For most of us to say, at these times throughout the day, almost without exception, if you were to be with me, you would find me in prayer with God, consistently, faithfully pouring my heart out for him. Now, now others of you, God seems to have gifted every local church, each expression of his body, with a handful of people for whom this just comes natural. This is easy. It's all, it, this is easy. It's all gravy to you, right? You can do this. It's, it's easy for you to give scheduled, consistent, intentional time to prayer, lengthy prayer, 30 minutes, 45, an hour, an hour and a half. You can just spend that time. It's delightful for you. It's hard to come out of that and do something else. But for most of us, it's not gravy. It's, it's work. It's a challenge. It's a struggle. It is what Foster says. Something we feel like we should do. Something we want to do. And yet it does seem like often uh, a great chasm stands between us and our desire for deep, consistent, intentional prayer and the practice of that. And we have a lot of excuses, don't we? Um, two, two prominent ones uh, that I hear is, I, you know, I do long for that. I'm just so busy. Well, we're all busy, right? Almost everyone you know is busy, so that's not a good statement. Because we're never too busy to do the things we really want to do. We're rarely too busy to eat. We're rarely too busy to go, you know, I'd like to jump on social media. I just don't have the time, right? We're rarely too busy to watch a television show, television show or a movie that we love, to go to a sporting event that we want to see. We make time for that which is important to us. That's the truth about us. We make time for that which matters to us. But often people will also say, if it's not that, they'll say, I don't really know how. And I think there's a lot of legitimacy to that. I think in, in, a, in a culture that is expressed by a continual um, picking up of speed and pace day in and day out where noise continues to increase, it's very hard for us to learn to pray. But prayer is something that we learn. I think the real issue, I believe, is not that we're not too busy. I don't even think it's that we don't know how. Because at the most basic level, prayer is just talking to God our Father. It's just a relational conversation. It's speaking to the God who has saved our souls, our lives, and is restoring us and sanctifying us. I think the real issue often is that we, we don't really believe that God is who he says he is. In other words, we don't really deeply trust his character. We don't trust the one we're going to in prayer. It's this issue that Jesus ultimately addresses as he answers a couple of questions in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Let's read these verses together. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, for everyone who, who receives, for everyone who asks receives, I can't get a single sentence right. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is basically answering two questions here. And it's interesting that he, that he jumps back into the subject of prayer here as he's moving through the Sermon on the Mount because you and I have talked about again and again how we cannot live out the moral weight and height of the Sermon on the Mount unless there's been new birth in our lives, unless we've experienced regeneration god is living in us and through us we can't do it unless we're empowered by the holy spirit to live this way in the moment and jesus is reminding us that god is faithful he answers two questions the first is this he answers how we pray how is it that we are to pray and i think when you look at the first couple of verses here you see first that we're to pray simply jesus just says ask ask for what you need. Do you know how, how much you realize how much you and I struggle with things, with anxiety, with worry, how much frantic energy we have in our lives simply because we don't pause and ask God for needs that we have? Richard Foster, again, speaking about this idea of praying simply, says, we will never have pure enough motives or be good enough or know enough in order to pray rightly. We simply must set all these things aside and begin praying. In fact, it is the very, in the very act of prayer itself, the intimate, ongoing interaction with God, that these matters are cared for in due time. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, I, I really need to, to, to pray about this and to spend time before God around this issue, but I just, I don't have the words. I don't know how to approach it. I think Foster's absolutely right. He's in line with what Jesus is saying here. Just start talking to God about it. Just go to him in prayer. And it has absolutely been my experience, and I know the experience of many of you, that it is true what Foster's saying here, that, that all of these other kinds of issues in your life, if you're just faithful to keep coming to God in prayer will begin to work themselves out over time because your your change your transformation the movement of your heart from self-centered to Christ-centered is the work of God only he's capable to do it C.S. Lewis said we must lay before God what is in us not what ought to be in us I love that quote we must lay before God what is in us not what ought to be in us. And I would just encourage you, don't spend your time. Many 
of us have wrecked a consistent prayer life by trying to pray for things passionately about which we are not actually passionate. Right? Can I just tell you, God has enough people around the world to pray for that which God has set on the hearts of his people. But in you and you and you and you and you and me, God will place burdens. He will place passions. He will place convictions that he's calling you to pray for. Be faithful to that. And don't spend your time in prayer on things you feel you should be passionate about, but simply aren't. This is part of why there's such a relational and communal aspect to prayer. Do you remember earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we didn't cover that, we're saving that for a specific message, but the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray. Now, these were devout first century Jewish men. They knew how to pray. They prayed far more in a given day than almost any of us in here do. But there was a difference in the way that Jesus prayed. And they were saying, teach us to pray like you pray. Do you remember how Jesus began to teach them? He said, pray like this. Our Father, and if you know the old King's English, who what? Who art in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Jesus says, our Father. He doesn't teach them to pray, my Father. Although God is their Father individually. Jesus is teaching them something about the corporate nature of prayer. And that you and I learn from one another as we engage prayer together. That's one of the reasons I'm not a fan of the unspoken sort of this sort of new culture thing we have over the last 30, 40 years of uh, does any have anybody prayer request? Uh, someone will say in a group, and somebody will say unspoken. Now, like if any of you did this in Sunday school this morning, some morning Bible study, I wasn't there. I don't know. So I'm not calling you out, right? Uh, unspoken. Like the Bible knows, and, and church history knows so, sort of no such thing where, where people would be asking people to pray for something that they don't trust enough to be vulnerable with. Does that make sense? But that prayer is this intimate, powerful thing that we engage in together. And I got to tell you, if I don't trust you enough to ask you to pray for what I actually need you to pray for, I'm not going to say anything to you. And I'm certainly not going to put it on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or make a TikTok video out of it. Because God has called us to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ who understand that we're all broken, we've all been in need of redemption, and God has swept us up by his mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. And we don't have to hide, and we don't have to pretend, and we don't have to try to please and impress people. Prayer is this beautiful thing. It's a simple thing. We pray simply. We pray persistently. We pray persistently. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, in verses 7 and 8. And this is not some kind of thing where it's building upon one another. This is simply a, a first century way of exercising emphasis when you couldn't bold and underline and italicize, right? What Jesus is doing here, his model with ask, seek, and knock, is simply talking about repetition and significance and persistence. Have any of you ever known a nagging child? Isn't it amazing the power that a two-and-a-half-year-old can wield on a full-grown adult? 
This is what Jesus is talking about, is that kind of persistence to go to God again and again and again, over and over and over. Jesus teaches us to pray. Now there's a tension here, isn't there? Here's what Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If you pray very much at all, there will be times where you have asked and you have sought and you have knocked and God did not answer the prayer the way that you wanted. There's a mystery there. And there's often pain and discouragement and sometimes disillusionment about who God is because it doesn't match up. And I'll tell you, I don't have a good answer for that except to say that God is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our trust. And I know and I have felt in my own life the pain and the struggle and sometimes near anger over the commitment to pray consistently for something that I felt like by all standards was in line with the heart of God and he simply did not answer it. But that's when we say that our faith and our relationship with God has to be built on the truth of his word and not our feelings. Because I can also say this, if you pray enough, you will see God move at times and in ways in direct response to your prayer that is so profound and so immediate and so precise that it strengthens your faith in a way that almost nothing else can do. But it is discouraging. I will say this, though. It is It is far better to trust God than to understand how and when and why he works the way he does. And I do believe that if you and I could see as God sees, we would answer as God answers. Because scripture tells us that God is good. That he is light. And he is love. N.T. Wright said that for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. And, and James tells us that often we don't have because we simply don't ask. And sometimes we don't have even though we've asked because we're asking for wrong motives, out of wrong motives. We're asking out of a desire for self-glorification and self-promotion. We pray simply, we pray persistently, and we pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, you come to God and stick with it. Open up your heart to your heavenly Father and continue with him in prayer and expect to see him move. Ask and expect to see him answer. Seek and expect him to be found. Knock and expect him to open the door for you. John Ortberg said that the Bible's teaching on prayer leads overwhelmingly to one conclusion. Prayer changes things how many of you could say amen to that this morning you could say he's not always answered all of my prayers and yet i've lived long enough to say i know that i know that i know that he is there and he answers and prayer does indeed change things it doesn't just change circumstances and sometimes the trajectory of someone's life that you're praying for or about prayer changes you Prayer changes you. 
One of my favorite quotes around prayer is by Richard Foster, and he says, to pray is to change. And I'll tell you this, church, to be unwilling to change will prevent you from any kind of serious prayer life. Because when you come into the presence again and again and again and again of the true and righteous and gracious and merciful God, you cannot help but be changed. You cannot help but be changed. You will either change or you will stop praying. I want to encourage you to think about something. Eugene Peterson, some of you will know, um, prominent author, American pastor, uh, pastored a a smallest church in Maryland most of his life. He passed away uh, six or seven, eight years ago maybe. Uh, Wrote a number of really, really good books. Uh, A deep thinker, a consistent, steady life and light for Christ on earth. He is the the author of the message, the, the contemporary English paraphrase of scripture a phenomenal greek and hebrew scholar and just a real gift to the church and uh, he notes in a book called uh, answering god about the rhythm of of evening prayer and morning prayer as he's talking about how we how we pray and i want to just share with you some from psalm 4 and psalm 5 because in psalm 4 and psalm 5 we find examples of an evening prayer and a morning prayer and we tend to think of morning and evening in our culture but if you know anything about uh, first century culture or antiquity or, or Jewish culture, they think in terms of evening and morning, that tomorrow really begins tonight. And I think we know this just as a physical truth. The way I feel tomorrow depends on what I do with my body today and tonight. And it's funny that in Scripture, these psalms, these, these prayers written out in our Bibles are given in that order, evening and morning. Let's look at Psalm 4 together. And you might think of Psalm 4 as, as a passive petition. Passive petition. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking who will bring us prosperity isn't this the question ultimately behind every election that we experience this is not just an ancient question this is a modern question in the end we primarily usually vote with our pocketbooks let the light of your face shine on us fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound in other words he says i'm trusting you for these things for provision lord Verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Verse 8 I've shared with you before is a a verse that I've quoted over our children countless times at night uh, when putting them in bed and praying for them, especially if they were restless, maybe struggling with something. In peace I lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
If you have anxiety issues at night, if you struggle getting to sleep, Psalm 4.8 is a beautiful, powerful verse for you to memorize and to speak this truth over yourself over and over. Things just seem heavier often in the evening, don't they? The nicks, the questions, the comments, the doubts, the news, the decisions, the calls have sort of built up over the day. And this kind of passive petition can help you not only sleep, but rest. You ever found that you can do one without the other? You can sleep, but not rest. And then look at Psalm 5. Psalm 5 is a little longer. We won't read the whole thing. But I want you to think about Psalm 5, the morning prayer, as active petition. If Psalm 4 was more passive petition, Psalm 5 is more active petition. Because typically in the morning, we're ready to go. Now, some of you are slow burns. I know that. Right? You get up, and, and you need time to process the world and the fact that you are now functionally awake you need time to get dressed you need time to drink coffee right i don't bother my wife's that way sharon's a slow burn in the morning i don't want to bother her for a while i want to let her have her time to warm up but generally once we all get going right we're ready to go in the morning listen to psalm 5 listen to my words lord consider my lament, my sighing, my groaning, my complaining. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Look down at verse 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor, or, yeah, with your favor as with a shield. I don't know why I can't read this morning. It's one of the few things I can actually do fairly well. So I hope God restores that after the morning is over. If nothing else, these are great things for you to read in the evening and the morning. As you're remembering and leaning into Jesus' teaching on how we're to pray, but he doesn't just answer how we pray, he answers why we pray. He answers why we pray. We don't just ask, seek, and knock. But he fleshes this out a little in verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, which one of you, like if, you're, if your child asks you for something, would give them, in place of what they're asking, something intentionally harmful? And the anticipated is, answer is none of us. And then I love this in verse 11. He says, if you then, though you are evil, like how many people tend to want to continue following and hanging out with you when you say, hey man, let's go have lunch. I know you being evil would prefer to eat this or go there. We don't receive that well, right? Jesus wouldn't have been voted into many churches as a senior pastor. Though you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And then He, he quickly makes this connection between our prayer life, our understanding of of God's goodness and prayer with our ability to treat other people as God intends us to treat them. In verse 12, when he says, In everything that you do, do to others, treat others the same way that you would want them to treat you. Because this actually sums up all that God is driving at throughout the Old Testament in terms of the condition of our hearts. Why do we pray, Jesus says? We pray because God is our Father and He is good. He is good. He's not an angry, vindictive judge. He's a good father desiring time with his children, eager to hear from you. 
excited to spend intentional time with you. McKnight again says, knowing God's love, knowing God's goodness, and learning to embrace those attributes of God prompts us to pray. If you don't at your core believe that God is good, you're always going to struggle with prayer. You're always going to struggle with prayer. Sinclair Ferguson, in a beautiful statement, says, We shall never really understand the wonder of God's grace until, seeking mercy like beggars before a judge, we discover he wants us to be his sons and daughters. God wants you to be his sons and daughters. He loves you. I want to say this morning, if, if consistent, regular, intentional prayer is not something that has been normal for you, I, just, I want to give you something to think about here. I want to kind of sketch out a practice for you that involves three things and, and sometimes maybe a fourth. Three things and sometimes a fourth. The first is simply this, Bible reading. So let's imagine you go to this time of prayer and you're like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I can say a few things, but I'm done in a solid 20 seconds. Right? Prayer is never really meant to be divorced completely uh, from the Word of God and even from relationships with other followers of Jesus. But Bible reading, and what I mean here is, is read a verse or a passage, find something small. I'm, I'm going to be sending out uh, an email tomorrow to uh, all of our members and regular attenders that will have this information and some more in it, and then you can take it and do with it what you will. But, but I'm talking about a very short passage or a single verse, just read through it three or four times. Just simply read through it. And I mean a passage short enough that you could have read three or four times through it in, in under a minute. And then just simply list a few things. What does this tell me about God, the gospel, and his kingdom? What do I learn about who God is in this passage? What do I learn about me in this passage? Do I notice any promises or commandments? Just jot those out. Just jot those out. And then move into meditation. Choose one of the two, one or two. And don't get weirded out about this word meditation, right? Um, Eastern philosophies don't get to own that. Meditation from a Christian standpoint is simply filling our minds with truth. Choose one or two of the things you wrote out above and think on them. How would I be different if this truth were profoundly present in my life today? Why is God showing me this today? And then just move into prayer. And give yourself some prompters if you struggle with this. God, you are. God, forgive me of. God, thank you for. God, would you. And think of meditation as simply this, this brief space between Bible reading and active prayer. And if God blesses you and your heart kind of catches fire. Sometimes you're in that moment and God is speaking and moving and stirring and you don't want to be anywhere else. Just stay there. Most of the time this won't happen. But can I just say, you can be growing without being aware that you're growing. Trust your growth to God. But if that happens, you kind of move into a fourth area of contemplation where you just let your heart go where it goes as God leads. And you just let God take you where he's taking you remembering that he is unshakable beth moore said that faith is not believing in my own unshakable belief faith is believing an unshakable god when everything in me trembles 
and quakes. Final quote I want to leave you with this morning. Walter Wink said, History belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. I'll say this. Let me ask you to stand as we uh, prepare to respond in worship. If prayer has not been, this kind of intentional, consistent prayer has not been a regular practice for you, I want to give you this challenge, a five and five challenge. For you, for the rest of June, only June, I mean, we hope it bleeds in after that, but for the rest of this month, to intentionally give God in thoughtful prayer the last five minutes of your day before you go to bed. And the first five minutes of the morning before you get started on your day. Like you can get up and brush your teeth if you want to. And some of you may need to get your coffee. Maybe the Lord doesn't even want to be around you until you've had coffee. But a five and five challenge. Five minutes before bed. Five minutes before you begin attacking your day. And I'd love to hear from you as the month goes on. And maybe what God's doing just with those simple five minutes in the evening and five minutes in the morning. I'll be emailing you guys tomorrow some of this uh, structure, as well as some verses and passages that are really helpful for this. And I hope God uses them and blesses you. Let's pray.